I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. I'm joined by Paul Davis, Director of Market Intelligence for Memphis, Tennessee-based Strategic Resource Management. And we're taking a look at the challenges ahead in 2024 for U.S. banks and credit unions. We feel that 2024 is going to be a very challenging year for financial institutions. There's a lot of uncertainty, both in terms of the interest rate environment, in terms of regulation, competitive pressures. There's just a lot of things that are very difficult to prepare for. And uh, I know that from talking to banks as they were putting together their budgets for this year, just how difficult it is to really establish targets and then do the things necessary to meet them. So we're, we talk about operational agility in terms of positioning your financial institution to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. And at the same time, you know, having plans in place. So if something unexpected occurs, whether that's, you know, what happened back in 2020, hopefully nothing that severe, or something like the the deposit panic, the liquidity panic we had last spring, you know, the banks are still able to play defense as well as, as going on the offense. Let's look at it from the technology angle. The, the problem banks have got and credit unions have got now is that they actually have got to spend money because it mm -hmm. is time, if they have not already done so, to start investing in the technology that's going to keep them in business. Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, if you talk to, uh, to banks, I'm at a banking conference right now, and deposit gathering and technology are the two things that everybody's talking about right now. Everybody knows they have to have some kind of a technology strategy. I still think there are a lot of banks out there that are still honestly just trying to figure out what that strategy is and how to accomplish it. So it's an extremely important thing. And, and to your point, it does take a considerable amount of investment, whether you're an early adopter or a, or a follower. And that's a, that's a difficult thing as, uh, as banks make their way through this year as well. It's just really understanding you know, how to invest in, and how to make the smart money plays when it comes to their technology stack. Well, let's look at a, a couple of issues in this area, first of all. The buzz phrase, AI. I can sympathize with somebody who's in charge of a bank and thinks we need to do something about this, but they haven't a clue what. Exactly. You know, the funny, so the interesting thing about AI is you think it's only really been part of the vernacular largely for a little over a year, right? It was like late 2022 when AI really started to be discussed as something that had real application. But we've seen in a very short amount of time how it kind of came, it went from being a shiny new object to something that we're actually seeing some use cases now uh, pop up in the banking industry. Largely, you know, among the bigger banks out there, like the JP Morgan Chases, et cetera. But I think there is a role for AI at banks of various sizes, particularly, you know, given the fact that banks have uh, so much data, right? There's so much data that I think is untapped and, and under leveraged in the financial services industry. And uh, AI is certainly a way that uh, you could take thousands upon thousands of data points and, and make sense of it all. So, I mean, that's that's an obvious way to use AI. We're still at a stage where people are trying to figure out the most feasible uh, applications, particularly for small and mid-sized banks. That's one thing. The other thing is the fintech strategy. Do I mm -hmm. go down the ecosystem route? Do I look at buying a technology? Do I look at buying a fintech itself? Yeah, and no, I speak a lot about that. I mean, you know, the decisions with uh, with fintech, it used to be it was this idea of uh, being super competitive. Now it's like, let's be super collaborative, right? And so you have the choice. You can either just partner with a fintech 
you can invest in a fintech, you could buy one outright. And there are pros and cons to each. You know, a lot of uh, partnerships out there are getting a lot of scrutiny from the regulatory side of things. The federal bank regulators in particular last summer came out with final guidance that basically said, look, we're going to hold you, we, we will hold you responsible, the banking industry, for vetting and monitoring your third party relationships, including fintechs. So, you know, that I think gave a lot of banks a reason to pause just because, you know, if something goes sideways at your fintech partner, is your regulator going to then come and ask you a hundred questions and hold you accountable for it? And then you also have a reputational risk. You have some financial risk as well. So my take on it, long story short, with that backdrop is that the banking industry will figure it out. The whole process of how do you appropriately do your due diligence? What types of questions do you ask these fintechs? And then obviously have the pro, you know, the proper personnel and controls in place to monitor things like you know, Bank Secrecy Act, anti-money laundering, truth in lending, you know, all the, the bank regulations that FIs have to adhere to on a daily basis. Well, they'll figure out ways to apply those to the fintech partnerships as well. But it also has to be done on a cost-effective basis. Because if you have a lot of third-party relationships and you have to deal with each individual third party in the way that you've just been describing, that expense starts to mount up. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's where the larger financial institutions probably have a, a at least an early adopter advantage. They have the financial ability to make those investments, and you know whether they all pan out or not, they they have that that ability. What I think smaller banks are going to have to do is, and smaller credit unions, is just be a little more selective about those types of partnerships. Do really do their homework, get educated, because you're you're right. I mean, you you're you're there's a limited amount of money for them to put into innovation, so they really have to make the most of what they got. Okay, so you've highlighted six areas of consideration to, that could assist financial institutions. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's a couple others that stand out to me. We've already discussed a couple of them. First of all, undertaking a digital maturity assessment. What do you mean by a digital maturity assessment? Well, you know, I think every uh, financial institution really needs to do some soul searching on what their technology offerings are. Um, Obviously, the, the pandemic accelerated the need to beef up digital channels. And Bank customers, credit union members, they expect a more sophisticated digital product offering. The question is, where? What's the first step? You know, that's the very that's always the toughest part of the journey, right? Is the first step. And so we just really encourage folks to do a full assessment of their digital products, but also a fintech blueprint too. You know, okay, where do we want to be in five, ten years? What types of partnerships will help us get there? And then to take all that to come back to present day and figure out exactly, you know, what do we need to have in place? What kind of investments need to be made? Do we need to hire people? Are we going, like we said, are we going to are we going to do partnerships? Are we going to make investments? Are we going to do acquisitions to beef all that up? And then the other stat part of it is, how does all this work with your core provider too? Because there are some things, situations where you may have to go through middleware or go through the cloud in order to build the right tech stack to work around some of the limitations you might have with your core core, uh, system as well. Well, the first place you want to be in five or 10 years' time is still in business. Right. Survive. Survival is is the key, right? 
that's the bare minimum because you know obviously surviving is one thing but at the same at this end of the day you still also not only want to survive but you also want to be able to serve your customers to to the best of your ability as well as a credit union we used to be in a situation where you were geographically located you you focused on your region your state whatever you don't have to do that anymore one of the levelers that financial technology offers you is the ability to serve customers anywhere that's true i mean and one thing that you know the fintech uh, fintech industry and and challenger banks have really done in the last few years is redefine the idea of community it used to be you know it would be defined more by your zip code your market right but now it's really more about demographics it's about affinity groups it's about uh things like that segmentation right i will say when it comes to credit unions field fields of membership can be you know like you know it used to be the field of membership could be you worked at a certain company or you had cert- so field of membership does have some commonality with affinity groups in in some ways and that not all fields of membership are just based on just a, a niche uh, market. But the bigger picture is, yeah, what we're seeing is the, the idea of community is no longer based on an uh, area of geography. Community can be anything. It could be a physician's group. It could be, I mean, just about anything. Any, if you can find a, a big enough group to make money, then that's a, that's a prime target for, for redefining uh, who, your, who your market is. Something I think perhaps that all institutions of a certain size should be taking to heart. If you look at de novo activity, we don't have a lot of new banks being formed, but most of them that are applying are looking at niche groups, specific groups of people, rather than just, oh, we're going to open a bank in Scottsdale, Arizona, you know, for for instance. Now, you, you did touch briefly on the regulatory environment. Is there anything more we can say about what's coming down the turnpike there? Well, sure. I mean, so you've got, you know, obviously in the, you know, in the U.S., we have multiple regulatory agencies. They all have areas of focus. So, you know, obviously you have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Their focus, at least in theory, is, you know, con- protecting the consumer, right? So you're seeing them really tighten up on banks, but also they want to tighten up on non-banks as well in areas like buy now, pay later, or certain other types of you know niche consumer products to enforce certain terms, certain disclosures, things like that. So that's something to be concerned about, especially if you're uh, putting out a, a novel product, something that's new, be mindful about how you communicate with the end user because you've got the CFPB watching that. On the other hand, you've got you know the FDIC, the Fed, the OCC, and they're paying a lot more, you know, they're putting a greater focus on Again, that idea of your reputation, your financial situation is really closely tied to the people that you're partnering with, uh, be it a fintech, be it somebody else. And so you're also going to see a lot more scrutiny over how you vet and how you monitor those relationships. A quick example is banking as a service, you know, was gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, That's essentially where a bank partners with a, a non-bank, a fintech, and lets that fintech kind of tap into their regulatory infrastructure where the bank sort of is a sponsor and backs the fintech and, and what it's doing. Well, we've seen several regulatory orders in the last you know year to 16 months trying to kind of curb some of that, telling some of these banking as a service sponsor banks, 
whoa, 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 you grew too fast. You need to hit the brakes and come back and revisit a lot of the compliance and risk management stuff that the regulators feel kind of were lacking as the as those uh, platforms were being put together. So, you know, I would say in a nutshell, consumer protection is something to be mindful of, as well as making sure that your third-party partners are hopefully following some of the same basic laws and regulations that you have to adhere to as a financial institution. Sounds to me like that could be the answer to my final question, but I'll ask it anyway. If you had one message for the industry, what would it be? My message for the industry would be pretty simple, and that is that you you have to evolve to continue to succeed and thrive in this space. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require a lot of thought leadership, well-planned investment, and obviously a mindfulness of the regulatory environment and consistent and constant communication with your examiners and the folks that are, are, are watching you for safety and soundness. So move forward, progress, evolve, grow, but be mindful that you know it will be there will be significant challenges along the way. Paul Davis, Director of Market Intelligence for Strategic Resource Management.